The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, I want to welcome everyone to the Four Eyes of Low Vision. Um, I want to thank the host, whoever that is, if you want to identify who you are (laughs) on Zoom. I'm Jeanette, and I also have your CEU codes. Okay, go ahead. You can go ahead and give those. I'm going to read the opening code twice, slowly. Thanks. Zero, one, two, zero, seven. Again, zero, one, two, Zero, seven. Thank you, Jeanette. Um, Cassie Trosper is going to be the facilitator for this event. Um, Cassie, are you ready? Awesome. Well, thank you, Patty. And welcome, everybody, in Schaumburg and on Zoom and on ACB Media, if you guys are listening. Um, like Patty said, my name is Cassie Trosper. I'm excited to be your facilitator for the four eyes of low vision. Um, I'm excited to be here as one of the newly elected CCLVI board members, as though I was wearing a second hat as a member of the ACB Mental Health and Wellness Committee, um, which is also a partner um, with us for this program. Um, So I am gonna start out with our first eye. Um, So our first eye for the four eyes of low vision is going to be identity. I lost or I was told I was going to lose my vision because I have RP about 10 years before I actually lost um, enough vision to actually make a big, big difference in my life. Um, So my military career, um, I was in the Army, was cut short by 10 years um, that I could have had a little bit more time there. Um, And then finding my identity as a low vision person was very difficult. Um, I was very embarrassed by it. Um, I didn't want to be seen with a cane. I didn't want anybody to have to help me. Um, just because I was so used to being such an independent individual. Um, I had a daughter who was a little over a year at the time um, that had had a lot of medical um, things going on. So I really struggled to find my identity. So the way we're going to do this, it is going to be an open discussion. Um, We will need you to raise your hand on Zoom. Um, Jeanette, our awesome host, will um, call you from there. And then also in Schaumburg, um, Patty, sorry, I almost called you Peggy. Oh, my goodness. I'm not on a roll this morning. Um, So Patty is going to be passing that microphone around. um, And we are actually going to start off in the room um, with our first person. And you're going to have two minutes to tell us um, how identity works in your life for low vision, how you how you found your identity um, as a low vision or blind um, person. Hi, I'm Sandy Owens from North Carolina. And when it comes to identity, with having a visual impairment. Am I correct? Is that what we're okay? Thank you. Just checking. Um, when I first, uh, had my retinal detachment, I was 17. So I was really confused about life and things like that. Um, but with the future, I was embarrassed and it, I felt like that was natural. I didn't know what to do. I made it through high school, but I got into fashion. So 
And I think it was my parents' way of overcompensating for what was happening in my life. So I really got strongly into fashion, wearing stiletto boots and everything. Yes, that's what I do as low vision, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went through that. And then um, I went and I worked overseas for two years as a math teacher. And that was 2017 to 2019. I feel like that's when I really learned who Sandy was as an individual. Um, I blossomed and... I became more into fashion and things like that. But the the point is that it took me a while to realize that people are going to have something to say about you no matter the way you look, no matter how you sound, you know, whatever your background situation is. And I had to come to terms with that on my own. So with age, I realized that I'm going to be fabulous and visually impaired versus, you know, embarrassed because I have to use a magnifier. Embarrassed if I have to use a long cane, which I actually have mine decorated, but I did not bring it to me. Bring it with me. It's like shiny and sparkles and I have one to match every outfit kind of thing. But I had to grow into that. And I feel like with that, with support from my family, friends, and, you know, networking and talking to different people, I kind of figured out my, my identity as a visually impaired individual. And so I make it my own. So those in the Schaumburg room, I'm always bright. (laughs) I have on like a yellow dress and things like that, or, and I have red hair right now. Um, I have a nose ring. I have tattoos. I am still unapologetically Sandy Owens. And that's kind of what I love to push towards people that I encounter that are visually impaired. You can still be you and fabulous. You don't have to look like the stereotype or the stigmatism that they place on people with visual impairments. So that's a a smidge bit of how I kind of embrace my identity as a low vision, you know, person. Awesome. Thank you, Sandy. And I give you props. I mean, those stiletto boots are no joke. And and trying to balance a cane and, and all that stuff and balance yourself, that, that can be uh, a lot of fun sometimes. But thank you so much for sharing. Hi, everybody. This is Jane Perry sending greetings from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. How is everybody? <clears throat> My story is a little bit different. I was born with an extra finger and extra toe, overweight and wore glasses since I was five years old. I went to school, in public schools. I drove, I had a great job. I had lots of friends, had my own apartment, went to college, and then boom, at the age of 31, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And then I got involved with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, who is gonna be speaking tomorrow. And please visit their booth because they deal with research. And I got involved with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, went to a conference in 1990. And there was a doctor there that talked about different genetic patterns. And he said, he had this young gentleman that walked in his office and had all the symptoms, but he had 12 of the dirtiest toes in Chicago. And I went, oh my good God, because I had to move when I was three years old because of the stigma. <clears throat> and I thought I really wasn't. I always thought I was a freak waiting for the circus to come to town because I even had them removed. Everybody said, oh, well, I had to use the try on the shoes for the different, different set, the wrong side. And you know, I couldn't wear gloves because I had wide fit, wide hands. 
But then I realized I wasn't the freak waiting for the circus to come to town. And I met 10 families the next day and my journey began living with Barty Beetle syndrome. And now I am a very strong advocate for older people or seasoned people in my town. And as a healthcare professional, I lost my job due to my vision, but that's okay. And I've learned to laugh at myself and I've learned to be a very strong advocate and educator and hopefully empowering people who have Barty Beetle syndrome, especially the under, younger people, that you can live a semi-normal life with this wackadoodle syndrome that affects every system of your body. And I am like the adult poster child, <laughs> as people know me. So anyhow, I always considered my glass half empty. Now it's three-fourths full and I enjoy life. And now I have um, a couple more health issues that I'm willing to deal with. And hopefully next year, at this time, I will be at in Jacksonville or be in Washington to lobby with a brand new knee. So I thank you for allowing me to share. And if anybody has Barty Beetle syndrome or has retinitis pigmentosa, please go and check out the Foundation Fighting Risk Blindness booth and sign up for the retinal tracker and become an eye donor. I carry my eye donor card everywhere I do go. And I talk about Barty Beetle and about educating healthcare professionals. So I thank you for allowing me to be a part of this seminar and also a part of CCLVI along with my other five special interest affiliates along with my state affiliate. Thank you and have a great conference and I'll be talking to you all soon. And if anybody has Barty Beetle syndrome, you can contact Cindy Hollis and she can get in touch with me. So thank you very much and you have a blessed day filled with joy and happiness. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, I think that's one thing I've learned is I laugh at myself a lot because a visual impairment can you can do some fun things <laughs> and not even be aware of it. Okay, my name is Reverend Dave Wilde. I only mentioned that because of my second career. I had 31 years in sales and I still continue retired in ministry. But at uh, age almost 70, I found out that uh, I could no longer drive. And I was really angry. And then I met this wonderful support group called KCCLBI, which is Kentucky Community. Ah, excuse me. Thank you. Kentucky Council of Low Vision. And uh, they not only helped me work through that, they gave me my passion back for helping other people. And so when somebody comes into our group, I'm willing to do about anything they want to do because of. Uh, that's just what drives me, and I've been there. I've had an eyesight vision problem since six, and now I have a magnifier and a headset, but, you know, life is still really good. So I, I want to thank Patty and the group, and uh, you can do it. That's all I can tell you. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I think sometimes I'm told a lot by certain individuals, or a certain individual that I don't give myself enough credit because I'm just always like, you know, I'm just me. I do what I can, you know, so... That's kind of my motto. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Twehoff from Minnesota. I'm calling because uh, I've been moderate low vision for most of my life. In the last two years, I've lost most of my vision. But the problem I'm having is most of my acquaintances know me as having vision. And even though I use a cane and all that they don't think I'm I'm blind. And I don't know how else to convince them that no, I don't see you and I need to know who you are and 
all those things. Uh, if you have any ideas that could help me, that'd be great to help me just express yeah. myself better. Thanks. Yeah, I, um, Randy, that is a good, good um, question. I um, have went through that. Um, I've been told that I hide my blindness well. Um, I'm also a Sunday school teacher at our local church, and um, I just kind of started helping a new teacher out, and um, I had my book out. I didn't have my cane out um, because usually I kind of memorize a lot of stuff or I have one of the kids help read. Um, but they look at me and they go, huh, I, I didn't even realize you had a, a vision condition, you know, because I had it. Well, we have another person in our church that uh, we don't use our canes a lot around the church. Um, so, yeah, that can be difficult when you go from sighted to um, losing vision. And now you have to kind of reacclimate everybody around you and go. Well, sorry, I can't see you anymore. Or I can't see that picture. Um, but it'll take time, um, you know, telling them, you know, how you feel and, hey, can you do this instead of something else? Um, and I know there'll be a lot of calls helping helping with, with different things like that um, as you go through convention. But thank you so much for sharing. Uh, my name is Edward Lawrence, Lawrence Edward Cohen. Lawrence I'm, Lawrence from Cohen. I'm from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. I'm in my early 70s, and with two minutes, what can you say? Um, <laughs> I've always been a, a, a leader-teacher sort of person, and in my later years, I have begun support groups and, of course, worked uh, in the ACB and uh, started a business uh, about nine years ago to make products to help low-vision people. And I think the most important thing is to let them, the people around you, know that you are comfortable up to a point with your blindness, and they should be too. But like many of you said, I was embarrassed at first. I would uh, get off the bus, use my cane to get to the building I worked in, and then I would put my cane away. I knew the building by heart. I just didn't want people to see me with the cane. Work was out. I'd leave the building. Out comes the cane. Um, but use the cane, even if it's difficult get used to it and that way people know you've got a vision problem and it's okay to say hello to whom am i speaking when you're speaking to someone and you don't know who they are because you can't see their face so be bold be your own advocate i'll cut it off there awesome. thanks so much and there's so much truth in that i've been there um you know using my cane when i needed to and then getting somewhere and um you assume you know, but about the time you assume you know, um, they've moved things around <laughs> and you're ping ponging off of things going, oh, I should use my cane, but um, I'm stubborn and I'm not ready to do that yet. So with that, so that was our first eye. I am gonna transition into our second eye, which is individuality. Um, I know Sandy touched on a little bit of this earlier. Um, so how have you in your your life with low vision or transitioning from vision to low vision to blindness um how have you been able to show your individuality as a blind person um what are some things you do to make sure that you stand out like sandy said she's bright and everybody sees her or can hear her coming maybe um you know it's sometimes you can get that feeling of people that you're around that vibrant that that good vibe so what are some, some of the things that makes you the individual in your, your blindness? 
Hi, Paul. I am uh, probably be classified as a high partial. I got very lucky uh, when I was uh, having my eye operations that they were able to save a substantial amount of my vision. And I, uh, I'm a strong believer in being an advocate. And that's one of the ways that I show my individuality. Um, one of the things that happened to me uh, early on when I was still working is I uh, got off the bus that dropped me very close to where I was living. I wasn't walking around. I didn't use a cane. And uh, I got hit with a hit and run. Uh, and it uh, ended up flat on my back, ended up to the hospital and had a uh, operation the uh, next day with a severely broken uh, leg. So needless to say, after I recovered from that, uh, at first I didn't want to carry a cane. And then I uh, went along everywhere I went, I had a cane with me. And that's one of the things that whether you, and I've said this to other people that I've seen, whether you need the cane or not, as a person with low vision, I recommend to people, well, go ahead and use the cane because you're advocating for us as a group and you're, ad you're advocating for the blind community or blind and low vision community. And whenever I leave the house, even if it's, even if I'm going to be in a location where as soon as I get there, I'm gonna put the cane up in a corner because I don't need it to get around. I think it's important to go ahead and use that. And I don't have a problem with um, whatever identification that people have. And for people that are my friends, they, they should be respecting you for what you're doing. And it gives you an opportunity to make people aware of the tools that we need to use as uh, a member of the blind and low vision community. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, that is really true. Um, I kind of thought about that after I got over a little bit of my stubbornness um, with having my cane because I'm like, oh, I can do it. It's not a problem. Um, I still have enough vision, but my depth perception um, caused me to trip over things. And I was not very grateful to begin with. Um, so that did not help. Um, so I think with me and the individual individuality, um, even when I go into like a doctor's office where I, I have an appointment, I still may put my purse down, but I'll have my cane in my lap. Um, I'll fold it up and put it in my lap because I've had doctors that would start talking to me and wanting to show me things. And um, even though it's marked in my chart that I'm, I'm legally blind, low vision, um, they still assume that I could see what they're doing. So I have my cane out. Um, so that's kind of like an identifier. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's a really big thing with the, the identity. Um, like Sandy said, she she um, decorated her canes. Um, I know I had one friend that would um, decorate her cane for the season. Um, so she had a different get up for Christmas and St. Patrick's Day and Valentine's Day. Um, so just, she just kind of went all out. I have a headset. You would probably know it best as a patriot. I have a different version, but I wear that in church. And because we have these lovely screens for for reading, I mean, singing, but I can't read them. But when I reverse the colors or to contrast, I can read them purposely. I've had people come up to me after church, what are you using? Where'd you get that, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I've actually left the little box at the coffee bar and had people bring it to me. So I'm not at all embarrassed about doing that. <laughs> and uh, it tells me, uh, A, I'm proud that I can do all this, and B, that there might be something out there for you. And that's just all I got to say. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I have heard someone mention that. Um, our church also has the, the big projection screen. Um, and every now and then, depending on the background, I can sometimes see some of the fuzzy words. Um, but I do with RP, I do have my colors inverted where I have white writing on a black background. Um, so I can see that on my laptop sometimes if it's a good day. Um, most of the time it's fuzzy. But um, but yeah, that's a really good um, something that you can use um, to be able to flip that to make things work, work for you. Janine. So I want to talk about my individuality. I struggled a lot when I became blind. I haven't been visually impaired blind for very long and it's been a very long journey. So for me, I um and and I tend to leave my cane out. Like if we're in a restaurant, I I have this little pad that I can put my cane on because people are like, why are you putting that on the table? Well I can put it in its cane bag and then the table won't be dirty. So um they can see that I have a cane, then I kind of don't have to explain it. And then I've been buying a lot of um blind girl designs clothes that have bl like blind t-shirts there's dresses mm -hmm. so people can see blind wear on me and then I um I I just kind of like I you have to advocate a lot advocating like I I don't like to use my cane but then again I don't have good depth perception and I'll fall over so that um I I tried to you know decorate my cane but i purchased multiple different canes but i this the laws require not to be all colorful and stuff so mm -hmm. i i didn't know that so there's ways you can do it and and individually i had to find ways to make things work for me like maybe braille works for you but I'm just learning braille so we don't magically get that language when we go blind so I I learned to mark things with big foam letters and and tactile things so individually I, I just try to advocate for myself and show my cane and 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 say oh I I can't read that can you please read that for me when I go to the doctor's office and stuff. So that that's me and I will go purchase tickets. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Janine. Yeah, the, that was one of the things I had to do because I didn't know Braille. Um, if I could take myself back to when they were like, um, yeah, you're gonna have RP, you're gonna progressively lose vision. Um, I would have taken more steps to learn Braille when I could still see enough to see what I was doing. Um, and I know Janine, you cook a lot. So you kind of had to reorient yourself and like the kitchen. Um, learning the the different cookings and and ways to navigate your kitchen, um, so that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's the learnings. You have to make yourself your own individual person. Um, we are all we all have the low vision, the blindness in common, um, but we're definitely not all the same. Um, we still need to have our own time and our own space and be our own person. Vanessa, um, this is going to be a mixture of how I identify myself, but also my individual characteristics. I'm kind of doing both at the same time. Um, okay. I, was, I was born totally blind. And way back in the 60s, when you had congenital cataracts, at least at the hospital where I was treated, 
um, multiple surgeries were done. So I had three surgeries on the left eye, three surgeries on the right eye. Both, both brought back some vision, the left eye being the better of the two. Later on, and I won't go into this, I lost the vision in the left eye. And then in 2000s, I had early 2000s, I had some surgery that brought back some additional vision to the right eye. Um, but now that I've gotten mm, uh, more advanced in age, I'm losing some of that. But one of my biggest issues is I do, when, when I conduct my life, I do a mixture of things visually and I do some things tactually. For instance, I can read Braille very well, but I can read large print or with magnified equipment, standard size print. Um, in some circumstances, I could travel independently with nothing. However, I have chosen to use a guide dog. And so there are often times when I'm criticized, why are you as somebody with some travel vision using a dog when that dog could have gone to somebody else? Well, my travel vision isn't sufficient enough for me to do extensive traveling. Um, so I'm safer with a dog. Um, I'm having to get my dad to understand that the vision that I had five years ago is now different. Um, and so I'm having to argue with him more about, dad, I really can't see that now. I could five years ago, but I can't now. So you're going to have to do something else to help me find what you want me to look at. Um, in terms of my individuality, um, and, and, and this is no criticism for those folks who maybe, you know, wear clothing that, that, that is bright or not bright or decorate your cane or, or not, you know, that, that's an individual. My preference is to, I, I live in a sighted world. I choose to, under most circumstances, dress to match what the rest of the world is doing. First off, I want my clothes to match. I happen to like the long sleeve and short sleeve polo um, style shirts, you know, that maybe have a few buttons from the collar down. Um, and, and so I, I just choose to identify as somebody who happens to be visually impaired, but I'm going to lead my life in as much as is possible, like the rest of the world, even though I may do things differently, either tactually or sometimes visually. Awesome, thank you, Vanessa, yeah. And that, that just goes back to, we all have our, our own individual styles. No, not one of us is like the other. Um, and I'm kind of that way. I don't have my cane decorated. Well, I take that back. My kiddo has put stickers on my cane to get keep her um, uh, occupied during a doctor's appointment one time. Um, and I think by now those have all came off. Um, but I do have friends that have theirs decorated, um, you know, so it's just an individual, um, you know, person to person. So I am going to segue into our third eye. Um, now that we have talked about our identity, we have talked about our individuality. We're going to talk about how we regained or maintain our independence as a low vision or blind person. Um, when I lost more of my sight, my husband had passed away um, a few months earlier. Um, my daughter was eight months when he passed, um, and we found out she had a medical condition that required us to travel four hours for an appointment. Um, at the time, I had no clue about medical transportation because he drove. 
um, and I still had some sight at the time. Um, so I was in a state of, I have no clue. Um, so I had to regain a little bit of independence. Um, and now I feel fairly independent. There are still some things that I need help with. Um, but I think a lot of times um, people assume a lot of things when they see you with a cane. Um, I've had people grab my cane, um, grab my arm, grab me, and I'm like, wait, nope, let me, if you want to help guide me, um, let me have your elbow, please. Um, or just, you know, I don't want to be rude, but, you know, it, it's very not fun when somebody grabs your cane and starts trying to drag you when I have a child um, at the same time. So how do you guys, how have you regained or maintained your independence with your low vision or blindness? It's Sandy again. Um, Hi, Sandy. Hey. Um, to regain my independence, um, I feel like assistive technology has been amazing to me. Um, also, I, just a small snidbit, I, I taught public school math, algebra one, eighth grade, one, eighth for grade. like 10, 11 for years. Like so when I got back from teaching overseas, I came back to the States to still be a teacher. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I cannot see the faces of these children. <laughs> and we know how children are um, in imagine okay. eighth grade. So I was like, I can't do it any longer. So with that is where I realized, okay, I'm going to need more assistance. So my family, my parents moved from Puerto Rico and they came back to, um, you know, North Carolina and things like that. So I had the support to help me with my independence, but it's just not the same when you have your family there and they're like right there on your heels, 90, like 24 seven and it's uncomfortable and you're an adult. So mm -hmm. I had to really, really buckle down and figure out, okay, how are you going to, you know, cook for, I have an 11 year old daughter, by the way. So how are you going to, you know, start cooking and not burning yourself, which I still do, by the way. Um, <laughs> how are you still going to be a parent, a mother and go back to work and things like that? So with that, um, that's where I enrolled into school. And that's where I learned the different ways, the different technologies that really helped me. So the CCTV, the little uh, magnifiers, um, just using JAWS and Zoom text and everything else has kind of helped me to shape my independence. And since now I'm involved with the different organizations, listening to the members of each organization that I'm a part of speak, I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm not the only, you know, person with that issue oh, so I can do this, you know, Alexa or Siri can, you know, get, you okay. know, things going for me. So I feel like in my personal experience, assistive technology, software, things like that have really helped with my independence. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sandy. Yeah, my daughter, she's almost nine um, and I mean, I burnt myself sighted. I still burn my, myself uh, unsighted, if you, if you'd call it that. Um, it, it's just a transition. You know, I'm a single mom. Um, I do have a boyfriend that, you know, he's here some, but, you know, it's been me and her for the longest time. And and we've made do. She's an excellent helper. Um, but I want to have my independence and not make her feel like um, she has to help because she's a kid. She should enjoy being a kid. 
Um, so yeah, so that that's some really good points. And once again, I give you props for math because mm -mm, I, I can't with the math. <laughs> so, all right. Hi, Cynthia. Hello, everybody. I've, I've been trying to get in for the longest and I kept lowering my hand. First, I would just like to say thank you very much. I appreciate being here in this session. I'm going to let you know a little bit about me. When I was diagnosed with macular degeneration 12 years ago, I had no support, no help very much in denial always been independent always will be no matter what vision loss or no vision loss so i am from new york city i worked for the board of education and my last job before i moved to pennsylvania was working with food stamp eligibility for the department of um, human resource administration so when i got diagnosed I, I, I was having trouble watching the screen and I'm like, no, this, you, you're on the computer too much because I have a former IT background and always read, rode my bike, exercised, always with the children. So I was definitely in denial. 12 years forward, I'm 57 now, moved to Pennsylvania almost five years ago. And I still was in denial, didn't walk with my cane, never got the support I am getting now and learning, thank God learning after joining ACB and PCB and all the other organizations and meeting my mentor who now became my friend, Kathy Long, I am learning, like she just said, with all the technology, all the, like I don't know JAWS, I, I'm learning voiceover, I'm learning a lot of different things, but one thing I will never ever lose as long as I breathe is my independence. And listening to you ladies and the different conferences, it just helps me to know that I can still do what I used to do. I just have to do things differently. I just can't drive or ride my bike, but I can do other things. Thank you. Yeah, I always joke. Um, somebody was like, well, can you come down here and do this? I'm like, yeah, let me just hop in my car. Um, yeah, I don't want anybody, anybody wants me on the road. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing that we all have in common. Um, ACB has really shown me that there are, there are windows and doors open. Um, for accessibility and to find people um, to communicate with and to network with. And we still are able to be independent um, within our own selves. Um, and I think that's one thing that I love about these programs is you get almost like different little tidbits and like, oh, I didn't even know that was a, a thing. <laughs> I was just second what, what, what Sandy said. Uh, technology is wonderful. Uh, I know both technologies, Android with the visual handset I have, but I have switched to an iPhone for several of those reasons, voiceover. I haven't used that yet, but the contrast for me is better. And, and I use an iPad. I have a nice PC and I have Windows 10 and I've learned how to use the zoom factor, but I love my iPad. And as much as I do enjoy some of the technology in the Android, you'd have to fight me to take my iPhone. So that's what I would say. Thank you. Yeah. And I really feel like technology is great until it's not. Um, it can be very frustrating and usually it wants to show off and act up when you need it. Um, and I know CCLBI has a program coming up on Wednesday that we'll talk about a little more at the end is a, a no tech, low tech, high tech. Um, so we're going to have a panel, somebody that uses almost no technology, someone with kind of like a low tech and someone that uses a lot of tech um, in their daily life. Um, and I know we'll we'll give the, the info on that um, right at the end. Hi, Vivian. Hello. 
Oh, I have so many things to share. I do want to, with your permission, <laughs> want to reach out to the fellow that wasn't sure how to explain to his father about his vision loss, and that applies to anybody else. I think the most important thing is if we can help the sighted world, especially those that are so important to us, if we can um, describe our vision loss in terms of ways that they can understand, that can go a very long way. So maybe somebody has tunnel vision, so they might say something like, my vision is like looking through a straw, or someone who has to turn their head sideways because of field loss says, you know, I'm not being rude to you, I need to do that so I can see you more clearly. Um, that's really helpful. The other thing is nonverbal communication. Um, in the sighted world, it's sight first, listening second. And sometimes with us having a vision impairment, we are thinking what we say verbally will be heard first. So if you can follow up your thoughts with reaction or action, then that can also help. Um, I found that um, losing vision all my life, um, I would try my best to keep up with my vision loss status. So I'd go to the doctor and say, okay, uh, you see 2,200, you see 21,000. Oh, by the way, 21,000, I told everybody about that. And that's like, you know, what I could see at 20 feet, a normal person could see a thousand feet away. But I was really proud about that. And sometimes I think if we just take pride in who we are and how we see, and we don't make a big deal out of it, it can help us um, maybe try to be able to um, move along in that respect. And the last comment that I wanted to make, a positive attitude, reaching out for support, and believing in yourself, no matter what level of vision loss that you have, can go a long ways towards helping us um, balance out what society decides to place upon us versus who we are. That's what I wanted to say. Thanks, Cynthia. Cynthia, yes, I love that. Um, I I think um, sometimes we forget um, that it's okay to ask for help. Um, I know mm -hmm. sometimes we get wrapped up in our um, wrapped up in life, and and we want to be in, so independent that we don't want people to know that we we want we need help. Um, and it can be just as simple as you know when you're in a grocery store asking somebody, "Hey, am I in the right place for for an item?" Um, or "Hey, can you reach that for me?" Because I have that problem. I'm short on top of the low vision, so I have that problem. Um, so you know, making sure that we know it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for short, for support. Um, and and I, I love the positive attitude. Um, you're gonna get a little further with a positive attitude rather than, you know, always having the doom and gloom. I mean, I get anxiety when I have to go to Walmart, but I know I've gotta go sometimes. Um, but trying to think of, okay, well, maybe I'll find this while I'm there. Or, um, you know, try to find some something that makes me a little less anxious about it. Well, I'm last minute Eddie again, it sounds like. Um, um, I, my early career out of college was a, an advocate in the low income community, and I learned a lot more than I taught. Um, but I also realized that you can be an advocate for all sorts of things. And as my vision declined in my 40s, um, it, it was difficult, but I realized my motto now is I'll do as much as I can as long as I can, as well as I can. And I was a handy guy and a technical guy. And um, what I also learned is that people are surprised when, especially after a phone call, you set up a meeting and you meet them and then you walk up to them and said, 
I had no idea you were blind. And I said, yeah, my, my telephone doesn't have a very good in picture on it. Um, <laughs> but yes, okay, now what's the problem you need me to solve? Um, so we're all advocates, we're all teachers. Every opportunity is an opportunity to educate someone when they go to grab and help you say, excuse me, the best way to help me would be for me to grab your elbow. So uh, I've got uh, on my website, I've got lots of these sort of interactions. Uh, everyone has had uh, someone tell them, oh, it's over there. Well, that's, a <laughs> yeah. that's an opportunity to say, excuse me, did you not see my cane over there doesn't exist in my world? Is it to my left or to my right? And uh, you're welcome for this free moment of education. So and humor, humor is very important. <laughs> And, and that's that's my end. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, that that's some really, really good info and actually segues us into our last eye of the four eyes. So we found our identity. We found our individuality. We have regained and or maintained our independence. So now we are going to talk about how we have our inclusivity. Um, I've heard a lot of this over the first three eyes, um, whether it be advocating, how you speak up for yourself, um, how you stay included um, in life. So, you know, I try to do the best I can. Um, I was just recently on my daughter's PTA to be involved within her school. Um, I'm pretty sure I was the only um, low vision or blind parent within her school. Um, you know, so I always answered a lot of questions. Of course, you have the kids, hey, what's that? What's, what do you have that cane for? Um, so it's a good way to even educate the younger kids, you know, that brings awareness to, you know, we don't run up and grab, grab a white cane, you know, because that helps somebody see. Um, and all of the kids in the school were very, very open and, you know, ask a lot of questions. Kids are very honest and it's almost to a to a horrible, you know, I don't I don't know. Sandy can attribute to this, too. They have no filter. <laughs> so so I want to know how you maintain inclusivity. Um, with your low vision. Here's Sandy. <laughs> Sounds good. I said, if no one else talks, I will take the mic. And she looked directly at me. Um, to main, you know, to, to stay included, um, I travel a lot. Um, and so I have a, a friend group where we still travel. And as soon as something happens or when I get to a hotel or a resort, I am the person to say, this is not accessible for me. And they, they're all cited by the way. Um, so they already <laughs> know, okay, so we need to find someone to where we can make this accessible because if I spent my money in this country, <laughs> I need to be comfortable. And that's kind of just how I am as an individual. So staying included and being an advocate is very, very important to me, no matter where I am, which also, side note to Sean Berg Marriott, the way they have made this accessible is amazing. There's tape, they put tape down. I went to the pool, there's tape on the railing. It's incredible. So I'm proud of that. I'm doing a great review. Okay, back to what I was saying. Um, another way that I stay included in the community is I, and I live in Fayetteville, North Carolina. If you don't know Fayetteville, it's Fort Bragg, basically, most people know that. Um, and so I am a part of the Vision Resource Center there, which is where I teach assistive technology. And I'm also a member of that. 
And there we um, have an advocacy team where we go out and I, I have talks to the board members, council members, just about accessibility. And so I think that's an important way to, you know, stay included because people do not know what they don't know. So it's always interesting to me to explain, hey, I may not look visually impaired physically, but I am visually impaired and I let it be known. And so maybe you, I, I make suggestions, whether they want to hear it or not, you want to hear it. Um, so so mm -hmm. I like to make suggestions as to how the restaurant could be better, how this sidewalk, you know, the roads, things like that. And I think that's important for our visual impairment community just to be included is to be an advocate. You have to let people know what they don't know. Um, also, um, I go to a lot of social events as well because I am maybe slightly younger than some, but slightly older than most. Um, so I like to go to social events and I'll go and then seeing me, they're like, oh, you're visually impaired. And so that's getting that conversation. That's starting the conversation to, hey, we like wine. We like beer. I'm being honest. Sorry. <laughs> We're adults, <laughs> but we like these things as well. And so we need to be included. How can we make this situation that I'm in better outside of Sandy Owens, which is me, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, so that's kind <laughs> of how I you know, be included. I, I make those conversations happen and the end. Here you go, Patty. I'm done talking for the night, Thanks. unless you want to hear me sing, I'm done. <laughs> Thanks, Sandy. Yeah, I, I think sometimes, and I forgot this too, that, you know, even though I lost vision, life still goes on. You know, I still had a kiddo that was growing. I have two older boys other than my daughter um, that, you know, they play sports. And I'm like, oh, how am I going to see them play sports? How am I going to see photos? How, you know, I started looking at all the negative stuff and realized I can still be included. I might be able to see, I can hear, um, you know, so there's still lots of ways to be included. I'm Kathy Farina. I've been a member of Council of Citizens with Low Vision International for many years now. And I am also chair of our fundraising committee. And I'd like to let everybody know that um, in, inclusion is a, a term that CCLVI is pretty familiar with. We try to welcome everybody, whether they have a visual impairment or not, and we whether they can see anything at all or see a lot. We include everybody in our activities, and I hope people will check out some of our calls that we do, our community calls. Uh, we have a book club. We have all sorts of things going on. Um, and uh, I, I don't have a lot to add to what people have said because I think you've all done a great job of, of describing those terms that you mentioned, the independence, the individuality, and the inclusivity. And I think what we might do, depending on how much time we have left before we need to wrap up, is if there's any new people that have joined um, and haven't had a chance to talk on our first three eyes or our last eye, um, that may want to put some some last minute thoughts in um, that weren't able to participate in those first ones. Um, we'll open it up to that. Penny Moss. Okay. I just wanted to say a couple of things. Um, I'm in that group of people that have been blind since birth. I'm approaching 
um, approaching my 70th birthday. And I was actually one of the ones that was mainstreamed in public school. And for me, inclusion has always been trying to have a balance between having sighted friends and blind friends and being just as involved in activities uh, for the blind as far as organizations and yet being involved in sighted activities. And I want to, uh, one of the things I wanted to say about independence was the one way I really uh, developed my independence was I moved to Texas to go to graduate school and I'm living at I was from Atlanta, so that was a 1,200-mile move. And my move to Texas, I think, and my living out there was the biggest way I gained independence because it forced me to do things that um, I would not have done if I had stayed uh, close to my family. And I get my identity through my faith in the Lord. Thank you. Thanks, Penny. Yeah, I think it's so easy kind of to get into that groove of having people around you that are so used to helping that, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, they're right there doing it for you. So I, I can totally understand how, how having a move um, could help out with that. Hi, Nora. Hello. I think my comment kind of fall under the individuality section. I became visually impaired at age seven months after uh, surviving meningitis. I was, um, just you could say, mainstream, which is what we called it back then, long before that was the thing to do. I was the only kid with a disability in my school until I was uh, in sixth, fourth grade, I think. Anyway, um, I then eventually got a degree in health and phys ed, taught adaptive phys ed to people with multiple disabilities and what was probably the only one of two or three people in the country at that time who was legally blind who majored in phys ed. And then I got my graduate degree and went, um, became a neuropsychologist, which meant that I also had to use my residual vision for some of the testing and everything. But I've, so I've kind of been go with the flow. I, I've not been one to go out and hide the vision so much. It's just make it an issue when it needed to be and keep it quiet when I knew it would get me in trouble. You know, if you're taking tennis, <laughs> you don't need to remind the tennis teachers that you are legally blind <laughs> if that teacher doesn't want you in the program. Anyway, um, so what a, one of the things I found that has been real um, a part of my unintended but useful individuality is that I in effect became a, a role model. I ended up uh, doing uh, evaluations on people with other disabilities and so forth. And I didn't have to say, and I would mention the vision as I needed to, but I didn't make a big deal of it. I just showed them that if you work hard at what you wanna do, there's a lot you can do in spite of the disability um, instead of, I didn't have to, broadcast it. I just had to demonstrate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Nora. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, we just, <clears throat> when people see us, um, I know with White Cane Safety Day, you know, we do our demonstrations and sometimes it's good, just good for people to see us out and about and, you know, just being in our community and doing day-to-day -day life, whether it's grocery shopping or going to the park or, you know, just out and about um, and showing them that we're not scared to be out there. Um, no matter what our, our level of vision might be. 
Hi again, Vanessa. Uh, how you doing? Um, I'm going to kind of include two things, sort of in, uh, maintaining independence and inclusivity, because um, they both kind of dovetail. Um, in order to maintain my independence, once I lost the vision in the left eye, I got some basic cane travel. And from there, I went to the seeing eye and got my first dog in 1982 and must be doing something right because I'm now working with dog number seven. Um, at work, I, you know, we adapted things as needed from a typewriter ultimately to JAWS and a Braille note taker. Um, at church, um, I pair my iPhone with um, a note taker and I'm able to follow along with the service, which means that I can also participate as a lay reader. Um, I've attended baseball games, football games, NASCAR races. Um, and there are times when a group of us who are blind will go out to a restaurant because we just want to powwow with each other. And that's a way of showing the sighted world that, hey, we're not going to hide behind a rock. We're paying customers as well. We want to get out and about and have fun and look at us, order our food, um, eat our food. I know that sounds weird, but yeah, eat our food, engage in conversation just like anybody else would. Um, so those are some of the slash independence and inclusivity. Inclusivity? Yeah, try to say that three times. <laughs> uh, things, things that I've done. And, and shout out to the person in Fayetteville, because my people come from Laurenburg, North Carolina. Mm. Yeah, I get the the sports and the NASCAR. Um, I was very big and of a very big NASCAR fan um, growing up. And then I'm still a very big baseball and football fan. Um, I've, I've learned to listen to the radio a lot more. Um, but yeah, it, I try to keep keep in touch with my my sports. Janine. So for inclusivity, it's really, really important. Oh, and I never said where I was from. I, so my name's Janine and I'm from Florida. I grew up in the Bay Area. So I'm a huge sports fan too. I love the Giants. Um, but being included in a baseball game is kind of hard. So I now have to take a radio and listen. But for inclusivity, um, it, it's really, I'm finding it's, difficult. Like you have to ask for things to be included. I am on um, a, a board for inclusivity, diversion, um, all those things for the theater networks. It's really important to get them to know that it's really important for audio description. Um, also, when you go to theme parks, it's really, I, I live here. Orlando. So I am the theme park capital. So it's really important to let them know, hey, you really need to tell me, you know, what's here, what's in front of me, or what kind of ride is this? Or, you know, there's a couple rides that say you can't ride them if they're blind, but I can't read the sign and I waited in line forever. So then you have to write a letter to the disability person and you have to do this, but it's really important to make yourself be included, I guess, and realize that we're people too. And they, they can make some um, adjustments for us to help us. You know, it's difficult. <laughs> I, I don't enjoy advocating for that sometimes. I, I Yeah. But I think each one person can change something to be included, to stand out, to accept their blindness. And I think being here as part of this convention is a really big step. Um, my first step was a convention and it really helped me. I, I think everyone's doing 
really well. I loved hearing all your stories and and things, but you have to ask. So if you want live theater, like if you want to go see Hairspray or Rent or Mamma Mia, you need to contact the theater and say, I need an audio describer because they have interpreters for deaf people. We, we have the same rights. So that's my big thing on inclusion. It's really important. Um, and when you go to the movies, make sure you ask for the ear boxes, the transmitters, so you can be included and you don't miss things. So that that's my tip. And thanks for having the session. Thanks, Janine. Yeah, I think um, sometimes we forget that it, it's the simplest things that can snowball into making a big difference. Um, one little cheap plug, um, I am also a member of ACB Next Generation, um, and DJ has done an excellent job in putting a um, three-part series together on advocating and what is advocating. Um, I know the second one was during this program, um, but the third one is going to be on July 18th, um, and that's going to be wrapping everything up um, and giving some really good information on um, what you do with advocacy um, and, and how the little bitty things um, makes, makes a really big difference um, if, if you stay on that topic um, and have your voice heard. Um, some people feel like we don't have a voice because we can't see. Um, we still have a voice and we have a right, like Janine said. Um, we, we do have that right and we deserve the same, um, the same opportunities as everyone else. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Patty for a couple of announcements um, for a couple of more CCI, CCLVI programs this week. Um, and then we will come back and I will wrap it up and we will have our final CEU code. Okay, so just to let everyone know that we do have a dance tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Um, I don't remember that. Nirvana. <laughs> B. Okay, it just says Nirvana, so we're in Nirvana. We get to pick which one we want to be in, I guess. Um, yeah, listen to the music. So that is tomorrow night at 8, and we have a session at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Um, it is high-tech, low-tech, no-tech. And again, I don't know the room, um, but it is in the program. And, and then uh, we do have tickets for our raffle with us. So purchase those tickets. You need to win some money. Awesome. Yes. And there are going to be prizes given away at the dance. I think there is a best dressed male and a best dressed female and all kinds of fun stuff that, that Patty and Mel have uh, and Sarah have put together. Um, best, since they best dressed are couple. Couple. And there's door prizes galore for the for the dance. So definitely get your tickets to the dance. That's going to be fun. It is Roaring Twenties themed. So Sandy, get out your, your bling and your dresses. That would be fun. Um, there's going to be a photo booth um, and lots of fun stuff with that. Um, so I am so glad all of you guys participated in Schaumburg. I wish I could be there hopefully next year in Jacksonville. Um, and then on Zoom, you guys are all awesome. And if anybody is listening on ACB Media 3, um, and now I'm going to turn it over to Jeanette to do our closing CEU code. I'm going to repeat the closing code twice. Six, two, nine, two, 
zero. And again, six, two, nine, two, zero. Awesome. Thanks, Jeanette. And, you know, on behalf of um, CCLVI, Patty Cox is our president and your guys is Mike Passer in the room there. Um, and then on behalf of the ACB Mental Health and Wellness Committee, um, our chair is Pam Shaw, our co-chair is Debbie Green. Um, I was so happy to be able to facilitate this program and share things with you guys. Um, and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your convention, whether you're in person or virtual. Um, and I hope you guys are able to have fun experiences and learn lots of things and meet new people. Um, and I think that about wraps it up.